Hi, it's me. Welcome back to the podcast. Hello, if this is the first time you've listened. We're continuing with the last couple of short sprint pods centred on the mistakes that we see in training and racing. This is number six, which means it's actually the last one. It's the last one for now, obviously. Uh, But actually, if you asked us the question, James and I, uh, in six months' time, the answers might be quite different because we're always learning and things always change and and people's needs and uh, mistakes change um, as uh, we move along. Uh, So this one is actually quite a tricky one. Um, It's not really spoken about all that much uh, in the world of ultra running and this uh, life of pushing your limits and trying to pursue greatness. So I'm going to talk about the dangers of lying to yourself about your training and your life choices. I'm Paul, I'm your host and James will pick up the second half and he'll talk about how and where this impacts us in our non-running lives too. So as ultra runners, we are generally known for our determination, our grit and our unyielding drive to succeed. Whatever we're faced with, we'll push through or we're told at least that we should always try and push through. Sometimes we push ourselves to the brink and beyond and it's often our dedication to the sport that sets us apart um, from, from others. But in this relentless pursuit of excellence and improvement, we sometimes fall into a trap and for me that trap is called self-deception. There's loads of other ways to frame it and it can take lots of different forms. It might be overstating our commitment to training, it might be about downplaying injuries or just avoiding the hard truths about our performance. And we do this to preserve our self-image and to protect our fragile egos. It's an interesting topic, egos, but we'll touch on it a little bit here, but not going into great detail. When we take on athletes, new athletes, we ask about how much time can you commit to training in an average week? And I'll often see responses from very busy people stating that they can commit 20 plus hours of training a week, but they work 40 hours a week and they have a family. And I think maybe just that initial excitement and a genuine intention to to work hard and improve clouds the view of the reality that they maybe don't have the time and energy to train to that level. Clearly, lots of people, ultra runners in particular, downplay injuries we call them niggles so that they're just something in the background that mean we don't have to stop training or take any kind of great action to sort out. And one final example is uh, one that's pretty difficult to get people to open up about and that's not being entirely honest about either a race that's gone badly or just general performance and training. People, myself included, look for other reasons to explain failure, by by which I mean perceived failure. Um, So that might be a DNF in a race that you've worked super hard for, and the unfairness of that pushes us to question things that we haven't direct responsibility for. So we might might talk about, um, oh, it was an accident, something happened, I fell over, it might be an injury, it might be about sickness, it might be about poor course marking, bad weather, rather than poor prep or not feeling good or expectations that were maybe unrealistic 
or letting the pressure squeeze us or feelings of fear or discomfort or fear and discomfort that just got too much in the heat of a race. Now, I'm not suggesting, obviously, that this is a case all of the time, but in your own mental conversations, we can probably all put our finger on one time we were maybe a little bit self-deceiving. And the same goes for training. It's easy for us to tell ourselves that we've absolutely trained as best as we could in that session or in that training block or overall uh, for the whole year. But you have to ask yourself, was it really absolutely the best you could do? So what's the harm in a little bit of self-deception, you might ask? Well, I think it can be quite significant both for your running and your life as a whole, which James is going to cover. Excuse the noise in the background, Maya's decided to drink for about five minutes <laughs> in a noisy fashion. Um, so so let's take a closer look at the dangers of self-deception. I think the, f- the first one's pretty obvious, really. It's around injury and burnout. So if you just decide to ignore pain or injuries and push through regardless, it can obviously lead to kind of chronic issues or even career-ending conditions. Probably most of us know or um, people that are had had huge success in races quite an early stage sometimes have then pushed super hard and pushed and pushed and pushed that they're no longer running anymore and even on the other side there's plenty of people starting races that they know they shouldn't be starting because they've got some kind of injury that they're probably trying to cover over but their drive to to take part um, is too great for them to actually see the reality of the situation the second is stunted growth so if you lie to yourself about your training, it's going to lead to some kind of plateau in performance, uh, inevitably. You need an honest assessment if you're going to identify any areas for improvement and growth. The third is around unrealistic expectations, and we talked about that already in a series, episode five, I think it was the last one we talked about it, and James kicked that one off. So definitely go back there and have a quick uh, a quick listen. Um, and that's when you set unrealistic goals based maybe on self-deception it kind of leads to a constant disappointment and frustration when you fall short so that 22 hour training week that was never likely to be realistic starts to become a weight around your neck um, when the best you can do is maybe 14 or 15 hours in a peak week and then there are missed opportunities so if you don't acknowledge your weaknesses in areas that need some work then you're missing opportunities to develop and improve as an athlete and then finally, it's a very important one, I think, um, when you do that and you deceive yourself, there's clearly a danger to your mental health. So the stress of, of maintaining that narrative that you've created can take a toll on your mental well-being, um, which can ultimately lead to anxiety, depression, and burnout, and being tired with your running, and um, maybe falling out of love with the sport as well. So it's really important that we have these conversations and don't consider our own health as something that doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of me smashing that race that I signed up to 12 months before. So I appreciate that maybe sounded a bit doom and gloom, but there is hope, I can assure you, and some things to think about that so that you're less open to self-deception and that then holding you back. And I think balance is really important and that's maybe something that we're planning to talk about in a live session before Christmas. We'll let you know more about that as we get closer to it. So the first step into overcoming self-deception is self-awareness. And I think it's best to 
recognise and accept that self-deception is a natural human tendency um, and it's something we probably all struggle with. We do it in training and in events, so let's start to recognise it and at least be more aware of your own blind spots. Some kind of feedback from other people can be really useful in a situation. We struggle to see the reality of the situation and the actions that we've chosen. So useful, objective feedback from others like a coach, a trusted runner friend or mentor uh, can give you a much more objective view of your training and your racing. Uh, I think it's important though just to stress that these people that you seek out should have the experience and understanding that you need and maybe maybe your partner's not always uh, the best person uh, to help you um, with that objective view. They're probably likely to tell you that you already run too much and you should give it all up. So yeah, I would definitely think about seeking out the right type of people who've got enough experience to, to give you an objective view um, on your training and racing. And then it's about setting realistic goals and we've talked about that at, at length probably in this series and in and, and some of the earlier podcasts. It's, it's, quite a, it's quite a big one for ultra runners. Um, I think you need to be really honest with yourself about your current abilities and what it's going to take to reach your targets. And you need to be a bit more comfortable about the thought of failure. Um, cliched as it is, but it's an important part of the journey. It's through these failures that we really learn, we grow and improve, and we've all heard that before, but we really need to take a step back and, and listen to it and see how it can Im improve your training and your outcomes. Even just thinking back over the years about some of those poor races or races that you would class in your mind as being poor or uh, DNFs, did not finish the race. Um, as hard as it is, it's important to be honest with yourself. Uh, was there more you could have done, but you decided not to? I suspect we probably all have one. And if it's not a race, look back at your training over the past six weeks. There will be something there where you've maybe deceived yourself a little bit. And finally, trying to overcome self-deception is going to help you to develop the mental toughness that's required of this sport, really. Um, you can even take much more from those past failures by re-examining re-examining difficult word to say and um, if you if you take the time to look back at those now um, you can actually benefit quite a lot so you know those ones that you've maybe you've wrapped up in a nice little package that I was just I was just really unlucky that day or things just didn't quite work out and um, that stuff is really fertile ground for learning and fuel for f future performances so it's about acknowledging the weaknesses and then start getting to work on them rather than protecting your ego and playing it safe. Now, again, I just want to say that not every DNF or lower than expected race result is a failure. All I'm saying is that at least in the safety of this bubble in your own mind, you can relook at the story that you created and you can learn from it. I know when I've been in the throes of quitting a race, things have not gone to plan and I'm miserable. I'm already deep into shaping some kind of acceptable narrative in my mind, even before I've torn off that race number. It's kind of what we do naturally. And it's probably me protecting my ego. And instead of admitting that maybe I just wasn't good enough on the day or I hadn't quite nailed the focus that was necessary to compete at the level that I felt I should have been, it's really important to try and do that and be very, very honest. So let's cut the crap, let's be honest and stop the ongoing harm to ourselves of self-deception. 
running long distances is hard and it's painful and we'll never get it 100% right. But why would we continue to do hard things but not be willing to tackle hard questions about ourselves? I'm up for it and I hope you will be too. Greatness as an athlete is built on a foundation of honesty and self-awareness. So here's James with some lessons in life when it comes to self-deception. Thank you, Paul, um, for that really insightful 10 minutes or so there where you were talking about that self-deception. Self-deception's like a really negative thing. It sounds like it's intentional, but I would posit through my experience, both from a professional and a personal point of view, that oftentimes it is not intentional deception, but rather it's just sometimes the comfort of the moment. And that's what I'm going to position this in. And Paul talked a lot about how it comes along in the athlete life, um, <clears throat> which I thought was really relevant. You know, things like, um, you know, being honest about where you are with your training, being honest about how much you can do, and being honest with yourself because actually by setting yourself up to succeed, it's going to support you both from a, a sense of self um, well being, um, mental health, and also the getting to the true best outcome available to you. I really liked that. Um, but let's just talk about a couple examples of where that theory and that theme of self-deception can then have a negative consequence within life. Um, let's talk about it from a life point of view. How many of us, here's my one of my favourite ones, have said, we'll start that on Monday, whether it's the diet, the exercise, the new habit, whatever it might be, and oftentimes we're just kicking the can down the road, right? We're kind of basically making ourselves feel good in the moment by pretending to ourselves that we'll we'll make the change on Monday. Um, New Year's resolutions is a classic example of that, right? Um, and then there's maybe a more extreme side of it where we've got bad habits now. Some of it might be um, I, I, I'd been an everyday drinker, right? Um, which might mean that, you know what, it's, I'm just going to have one more glass of wine or I'm just going to do this one more time and um, one more can't hurt. But the, the point there being is, is that you're kind of always sating that I don't need to make the change now mindset. Um, so it's the, what, what you then tend to see there. I mean, I've got a couple of friends who talk to me very proudly because they said they've not had a drink during the week for the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, I'm not sure that that, is as big an achievement as you think if you're trying to maybe um, back yourself away from drinking as much unless you sustain that and build it into other parts of your you know your weekend life and what have you it, the fact that it is a change is good but when you start to take a step back and go wow that in the moment is success but in the long term would not be so don't pretend to yourself that you know just because you're um, outcome isn't as bad as it was doesn't mean there's just good um, and give yourself that plateau that Paul talked about it can happen in training it can happen in life as well one of the other biggest bits of self-deception I see though from a professional point of view is, is feedback and I see it massively when people go out for their annual reviews or they go to get feedback from colleagues or teammates and in essence what they're really wanting is, is they want affirmation of the deception they've built into themselves most of the time, not most of the time that's maybe a bit unscientific but oftentimes, and certainly um, what I would say is at least a low majority of the time 
people don't really want to hear the gnarly stuff like for example where you can improve and the things that great on other people or the things that they're not actually very good at they kind of want affirmation of what they're good at because they want their ego sated to make them feel good so you see at this time of year people going out and asking for feedback from 10 people who they know are going to who, who like them because they've got a kind of personal bias towards them um, and will give them pats in the back but won't tell them what they need to hear um, and I think from a leadership point of view it's an act of cowardice not to tell someone what they need to hear um, especially if you're in receipt of information that you are aware of and also that you've been given by others who might have given you feedback or, or given you some stuff to talk to someone about and when you think about feedback if you're always aiming to assist then that feedback's of value and especially if you make that feedback actionable like for example if someone came along to me and said I would really love you to um, cut back on the analogies and spend more time getting clear on the real true stories which is something I've had feedback on because I'm, I'm an analogy monster when it comes to stuff at work. But the point being is, is it explain to me how sometimes an analogy can lose the crowd um, or the metaphors and stuff that I use make sense to me but don't to others because I'm just moving through them. Um, and the point on that was is that sometimes it was just I needed to kind of slow down, bring the audience with me, make sure they were on board and then move on. Um, they gave me feedback that was aiming to assist because they thought that would help make me more impactful and they told me how I could apply it. Um, and that was fantastic. I could deceive myself by going, well, that's just an individual's opinion. But when I stepped back, I could see exactly what they're talking about. And the point is, is that self-deception, when you are using it to mask weaknesses or opportunities for development, and you're intentionally putting that barrier down, is only going to harm you in the long run, or at least stunt your ability to improve and get better. Um, and it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable enough to lift the veil of self-deception and to then apply it to yourself critically and importantly and probably the most important point Paul made is to allow outside agencies to shine a light on where you might be blind and where you might be unintentionally blind with some of the self-deception but also intentionally blind with the self-deception. So my message on all of that is, is I could give you a big toolkit and things to think about is, is try and be vulnerable try and be curious and try not be try not feel judged when you're looking at yourself or you're asking others to look at you too and here ends this series this sprint series of pods paul and i will be back with a long-form conversation reflecting on it maybe diving into some of the stories that are relevant to us in the coming weeks i hope you found it really useful and if you have any questions queries or even feedback just get me or paul on social media at pylon for paul p-y-l-l-o-n or me who's just simply at james stewart 13 thanks for listening catch you later